Good afternoon, OnScript fans, or morning or evening, wherever you are. I've just gotten back from the Society for Biblical Literature and the American Academy of Religion's annual meeting in San Diego. Uh, and I did some recording, just some hit-and-run interviews with scholars um, and friends to give those of you who don't go to SBL or AAR or go to any of these academic conferences to kind of give you a flavor of what people do, how they um, how they act, what they're interested in. Uh, one thing that you'll notice that comes up over and over again is that uh, a lot of people don't go to the paper sessions. And so I'm not sure if I just caught everybody on an off year where a bunch of people weren't going to the paper sessions or if that's a more general habit. Uh, but I know I'm making it a habit of mine starting next year to attend uh, schedule in paper sessions first, go listen to papers, and then kind of um, maybe make my meetings secondary because I think my meetings have become a little bit too onerous these last few uh, annual meetings. But anyways, uh, these are just a lot of people I encountered either at receptions or um, in the bookstalls just wandering around, and I would stop them and just ask them a few questions. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, and you should hear some familiar voices in here as well. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. I'm here in the book hall with Mark Cortez, uh, a theologian at uh, the Wetton uh, School of Theology, looks like. Uh, oh, Wheaton. There's, Wheaton. There's, an e, there's an A in there. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wheaton. Um, and so, uh, how's your SBL been so far? Uh, it's been great, mostly because I have gone to relatively few papers. <laughs> this has been a theme <laughs> that is recurring. Okay. Um, and what's uh, have you had any paper sessions where, like, you know, some, some new idea came to you or you see something in a different way that you're going to go home and think about? Uh, well, yeah. So Tom McCall did the analytic theology lecture yesterday, and Tom Bing Tom did a fabulous job with it. Uh, but particularly, he leaned into questions about reconciliation in conversation with apocalyptic readings of Paul. Um, and then kind of thinking through the categories that they're using, and particularly, like, what does it mean to say that the self is, like, destroyed and then recreated in Christ, and that kind of highly apocalyptic imagery. And then ask the kinds of questions that analytic thinkers ask about, like, what does that mean? And how do I understand the salvation of, like, me through that kind of a narrative? And it was fun to, to kind of hear that. And I'm still getting up to speed on apocalyptic readings of Paul, and so that was good for me. And yeah. now I just got to figure out what I'm going to do with all of it. Yeah. And Tom's the kind of guy who's going to make it pastoral at some point. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the dumbest thing you've heard somebody say at SPL? Oh, well, that probably would be for me. Uh, Outside of yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the dumbest thing. Uh, well, since I haven't gone to too many papers, I'm limited to like personal conversations that I've had, and I, I probably shouldn't tell too many of those stories. Um, so I won't say it was dumb. I did give uh, Hans Madueme a hard time, and he was responding to a set of papers that I was in, where he let off with his response, and Hans can confirm this to be true, saying that he agreed with everything he heard in the papers, and they were fabulous, and he has nothing to add to that. And then about halfway through the response, turned to a rather extensive critical reflection on the papers, most of which was directed at my paper. <laughs> okay, so a little uh, two-facing you there. <laughs> okay, excellent. And um, what do you? Uh, well, sorry, what do you look forward to, and what do you dread at these conferences? Um, well, I'm sure you've heard this from others. I most look forward to the conversations. Um, 
and kind of uh, some of it's just hanging out with people that I really enjoy, relationships that I've been blessed with over the years. Um, I like the collaborative nature of the conversations, right? So a lot of it is just how's life going, um, lots of mutual support from the year, uh, but a lot of it is um, feeding off of each other. And we talk about the things that we're doing, and I get to hopefully make some small contribution to what they're doing. They make a ton of contributions to what I'm doing. Uh, just came off of um, spending a couple of hours this afternoon with a PhD student in Aberdeen, Michael Forth, talking about the research that he's doing and how it overlaps with what I'm doing. And that, I think, is tremendous fun. Um, I also really enjoy ca- catching up with former students. Uh, and that's just a blessing to hear what they're doing and what they're excited about. And yeah. That's cool. And what do you dread? Oh, what do I dread? Um, well, okay, I'm, uh, like many of us, I'm not exactly an extrovert. So, um, particularly if, so I come for ETS and then stay on for AARSBL. So about this time, um, I, I don't actually hate people as much as it feels like I do. Um, yeah. So wrestling with that just a bit. So someone stopping you and saying, Hey, can I interview you right in the middle of the, yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And then I go straight from here to family stuff for Thanksgiving, which is beautiful and wonderful, but coming off of a conference is a challenging thing in its own right. Um, do you have a book recommendation, like one book that you is jumping off the table for you? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm mostly looking right now for books that relate the image of God to questions about gender and sexuality um, and how that conversation is playing out. Um, and there are a couple of titles that are doing precisely that. Uh, I can't recommend them because I haven't seen them yet, but I'm intrigued at how those areas of conversation are getting linked up. So Yeah, and you do mostly theological anthropology, or that's where you've done that's a lot my, of work. My main area, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mark. My pleasure. It's good to see you. Okay, so this is Drew, and I'm here with uh, Rodrigo de Souza. Hold on, say your name for real. How do you pronounce it correctly? That's pretty much it, Rodrigo de Souza. Okay, I nailed it. Um, and he's a Septuagint scholar um, who, who also uh, teaches a variety of other topics in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and what has been the best thing you've attended so far uh, at SBL? May I say your no. paper? No, I imagine I, could, I wouldn't be able to say that. Because that is not true. You can edit this later, right? Yes. I suppose. Okay, let me think. Because Although I usually like to leave it in when people say you can edit this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can leave that part and then okay, yeah. you add it to the port. What is it? Well, what's the best thing I've written? Let me just think what I've seen so far. I've been to... Yeah, it's interesting that this year I've privileged the technical the technical ones like the Qumran session and the, the Septuagint session where they have very detailed text-critical work and um, I'm at one point in my my, my my interest where I'm more geared toward those those issues just because they've they've been uh, somewhat they are they can be somewhat neglect, neglected in exegetical work and it's very interesting to to go back to this very basic lower criticism just to try to establish you know what kinds of text people were dealing with what kind of text people were using uh, the way they were approached the written text, and just being here in the bookstall and looking at all the different formats of books and technologies and the culture of, of, of printing books, and just comparing how, how books were approached back in the day, it should be at the front, front of, forefront of our thinking, I, I imagine. So, yeah, so that's, that's what I did. Uh, so this is kind of a life of the scholar question, because I'm wondering now, because I am also thinking more about technical details um, do you think there's an arc in scholarship where you kind of 
do technical work, then you kind of go bigger ideas, and then at some point you're like, wait, have I given up? Am I, does this stuff fit? And then you go back to technical? Do you think there's something like that going on? I think it goes both ways, right? You okay. can start with more of a big idea right. approach, and then you find one thing that takes you down a, a rabbit hole, and you, you, you focus on that for a few years. And I think it's actually healthy to do this uh, because if, if, if you're just too stuck on the little technical details, you might miss some big, big picture questions that should be asked. And if you do the other way around, you can you might be you know uh, building systems of thought without the foundation, and that's uh, that's uh, houses of straw, as it were. That's right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Rodrigo. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm I'm here with uh, Nija Gupta, uh, and I guess I want to know what's your, been a highlight of SBL for you so far. Uh, kind of a mundane highlight is we went to a restaurant called Werewolf, where you have to give your spirit animal before you can get your food. And Matt Bates was with me, so you can ask him about his spirit animal. But uh, that was a hoot. Uh, that was that was very special. I, I was thinking more maybe in a paper session. Oh, right. <laughs> right. My spirit animal was Peregrine Falcon. Uh, Matt, I don't know. He didn't. I don't know. I don't think he liked that game. <laughs> uh, given was it one or two years ago we, when we had a long discussion about animals that we liked and did not like. Matt might be a bat. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, Matt the bat. He was just hungry. <laughs> so, um, anything in a session that was especially illuminating or thought provoking? So, Institute for Biblical Research has this thing called IBR Unscripted, which are TED Talks. And there were some really amazing ones. There was one on using jazz to talk about intertextuality, which I thought was really cool. There was another one on women in, in the Guild of Biblical Studies with lots of images and just great presentation. So that was probably my favorite one, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what is the dumbest thing you've heard said at SPL this, uh, this conference session? Uh, the dumbest thing? Okay. All right. No names. Someone said that uh, Indian food doesn't taste good. Okay, that so is that, actually uh, yeah, that was fairly dumb, possibly racist. That was terrible. No, I don't. I don't know if I've heard anything outlandish. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I have heard an interview or an emphasis in talking to people doing this on uh, old New Testament scholars saying, "I'm thinking about text and manuscripts more than I ever have before." It, have you heard any of gotten wind of this moving away from BHS and uh, you know the uh, eclectic text? Right. Yeah, Pierpont, right? You know, there's a lot of interest in this. You know, my interest really is in reception. So I think that's really fascinating from just, like, I just got this book that has one volume as visual representations of Jesus in history. And it has, like, the Staurogram, which is, like, these images. It has a Christogram. You know, it has another one on... uh, the Alexamenos Graffito, which is like a like kind of a sketch of Jesus or a person on a cross. Is, is that the donkey-headed one? Yeah, that's the right. Yeah, so I'm interested in that in terms of what it tells us about Christianity from the perspective of that document. Yeah. Um, less so than like, what's the original Bible? I'm interested in that. I just don't think you can do that from those singular texts. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the material world just keeps percolating up and more and more in our textual studies, right? I love that. I was a classics major, and I just love filling in that ancient world stuff. I just feel like it makes it more real. I saw you were on Jonathan Pennington's Coffee's Cars and Theologians or something like that. Um, Did you have any any critique of that show that he did with you that you can just broadcast loudly? Uh, He didn't buy me coffee for sure. 
So I was left in the lurch there. Lies behind the scenes. That's right. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say out loud in public. Jonathan Pennington sits on a, lo- a throne of lies. Now we know. All right, thank you, Nije. Thanks. All right, we're here with uh, John Anthony Dunn of Bethel Seminary in Minnesota, right? Yep. And, uh, and we are standing in the bookstalls, and uh, I guess I'm wondering what's been a um, highlight of the conference so far for you. Uh, I would say the main highlight would be the panel on first century Mark. Um, it was really informative, cohesive, and uh, dramatic as well. So it kind of had everything you'd want in a panel. I'd say it's one of the best panels I've ever been to. Very informative, interesting, and uh, yeah. Okay. So when you say formative, interesting, as a, a biblical scholar, right. you might mean, so think of the, the grad student or the pastor, like what what particularly was snappy or sexy for you on and that's well you had you had Bart Ehrman begin with kind of an oral history about his debate with Daniel Wallace in which uh, Wallace kind of sprung on on Ehrman uh, the fact that there was this first century um, manuscript of Mark and so he he, that's how it kind of started and then Elijah Hickson gave this timeline kind of historical sort of like here's what happened over the the years since that and um, and then you had you know Michael Holmes is a representative of Museum of the Bible um, and and you had a representative from the Egyptian Exploration Society. A number of people, it's kind of like a really well-casted TV show, basically, right. uh, all kind of chiming in on this, um, and a couple of other people on the panel as well. Um, I would say the main thing that I that I took away in terms of uh, kind of the ethics of like public facing and, and how how we need to be absolutely trustworthy and um, and, and and really not step forward, you know, with, with uh, big announcements unless right. it's, you know... <laughs> been properly uh checked and things not to name names but yeah, yeah. okay yeah so i, I think if, you, if you're not aware there was a a debate in which um dan wallace basically said well you don't know about this yeah. secret manuscript right, that i know right. about and then it turns out that the manuscript may have been a little more questionable than yes. initially thought yeah, yeah okay yeah. um and what's the dumbest thing you've heard someone say uh, here? You don't need to name names, but just the dumbest idea or thing or notion or paper you've heard. Wow. Well, I think maybe I've been blessed this uh, this <laughs> SPL. I don't think I've come across anything too wild. Okay. <laughs> um, anything here that uh, just, you know, you hear lots of papers, but sometimes you get, you hear or you have a conversation with somebody and it, it causes you to continue to, or it, it either reinforces something you've been thinking about or it causes you to think about something new. Has you had anything like that happen this time? Um, trying to think of some of the sessions. Um, I, I don't know that I have anything uh, ready at hand to, to, to say, but I, I mean, I, I'm very curious about a lot of the the first from this first century mark panel um some of the some of the things about museum of the bible in particular that okay. i'm intrigued to look into further as a result of that panel yeah uh, there must be something in the air i've a lot of people are talking about text te- even the hebrew bible side i've talked to a lot of people and they're thinking about text and text traditions rather than just the printed bhs that we're all reading so i don't know if there's a new testament equivalent to this or maybe this is participating in this like oh yeah where do we confirm? Should we all be going back to actual manuscripts and not just eclectic text? Right. Have you heard anybody talking about this? Uh, I, offhand, I, I can't point to anything, but uh, I, it, you know, anecdotally, have had conversations with friends about like, you know, what should new commentary series look like, like right. that kind of thing, yes. where where we have had those kind of conversations like off the cuff with a right. pint, you know, uh, that that rings a bell, but okay. you know, not not anything, you know bigger that I'm aware of. That actually jives with what I've heard from other people. Uh, final question. 
How do you explain this conference to your relatives who just have no contact? I assume you have some relatives who have no contact with this world. What's your like thumbnail description of this conference? Uh, I guess what I what I say is, you know, we have, you know, a a ton of a ton of Bible scholars, theology scholars, religion scholars, uh, and you have multiple conferences overlapping, and they each kind of have various scopes of membership, and um, and we're all kind of representing ourselves and and engaging each other. There's a lot of networking going on, a lot of receptions, a lot of reconnecting with old friends and colleagues. Try to just paint a picture of it's a fun, nerdy time, you know? (laughs) Very fun for most, very nerdy. All right. Here with Jesse Myers and uh, Miles Custis. Oh, I thought it was Curtis. Miles Custis, ma'am, uh, from Lexum Publishers, which is a wing of uh, Logos Faith Life. Is that correct? Close enough. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, standard question has been: uh, What has been one of the highlights of SBL for you from a publisher's perspective? Well, it's really important for us to come, and a we get to meet with all of our authors, uh, which is really important, and then. It's an opportunity for us to engage and get immediate critical feedback on what our books are doing and what's working and what needs to be developed. So it's a really important conference for us for those reasons. And um, what has been one of the low points for you of the conference? Oh, I, I can't speak. I can't pick just one. No, just <laughs> no. It really has been a lot of fun. Uh, my voice cracking this morning due to back-to-back meetings is probably the low point. Actually, yeah. <laughs> you are actually the third publisher I met with that. Uh, has had like a raspy voice uh, today. And Miles, how about you? What's a high and low point? Well, a highlight for me is I work for our instructional media department. So we're out here actually creating some products. So we've got a, a studio set up in an Airbnb nearby, and we are filming a couple video devotionals, one on Ephesians, one on Philippians. So we've had a different scholar come out for each passage, and and that's been really great. We've got a lot of great people and it's been just fun to get to hear their, their insights and get a little mini sermon from each of them. Um, tough to say a low light. It's just, I guess it's, it's very busy. So it kind of wears you down, but I don't have too much to complain about. So you have a scholar somewhere like it's, you know, John Walton coming out of the bathroom going, oh, hello there. I didn't see you there. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, but uh, it, it's, it, we set up a nice little studio. Our, our video team researched and found one that looked really good, had good aesthetics. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be nice. Nice. Okay, so, well, there you go. And um, what's the other question I was asking people? Oh, uh, this would be interesting. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you've heard somebody say at SBL this year? No names. Man, I'll let Jesse answer first, so then I can say what he just said. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Oh god, the dumbest thing someone. You have to be vague enough not to call anybody out. I've seen some interesting proposals. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I really can't say anything because we'll throw someone under the bus. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I've had anything heard anything too dumb. I haven't been on any sessions or anything. Um, we did help. Multiple different professors learn how to use Lyft and Uber uh, to get to and from the, the Airbnb, though, helps some non tech savvy people get a little bit more tech savvy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, maybe if you could describe for me uh, or the people listening on OnScript uh, very briefly, uh, what is it that you do most of the time that's so exotic? I don't think most people out there in, in the non academic world uh, know what you guys as publishers do at these kind of conferences. 
Right. Yeah. So there's there's multiple things going on. Um, of course, we're we're selling books by hand at the booth. Um, most times, publishers are not doing that. They're usually selling through bookstores and retailers and Amazon and so on and so forth. These are opportunities for us to talk directly to customers. So you got people in the booth selling books, but then in my role, I'm meeting with authors and prospective authors um, and partners throughout the day. So I'm going. And you, this is such a compact time where there's so many people. You kind of have to make use of every minute. And so that's why we're fitting in meetings. We're starting in the morning. We're going till supper. We're meeting for people after supper. So we're, we're working and you know, dusk till dawn and past on both ends. <laughs> and uh, you said you've heard some interesting proposals when I asked you uh, what some dumb things you've heard. Um, I, I, I do wonder, because I've actually seen publishers with that face on when you're telling them their, your proposal and they're going, and you can just see them going, oh no. <laughs> So is there, is there a, a clever tactic you can give our listeners when you're listening to someone give a bad book idea? How do you get out of that? You don't. <laughs> no. But in fairness, most of the book ideas are really good, uh, especially in a place like this. Um, and so I'm always happy to hear people out. Yeah. Yeah. And you, one of your jobs is to help them reshape the proposal sometimes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, so most of the time, it's somebody who's... If it is a book that doesn't work out, it's often because it's just not in our market. So it's a book that doesn't work for us. Yeah. Uh, and it's a book that might work somewhere else. Yeah, that's a polite way. You're like, yeah, you should go talk to uh, this other publisher down here. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Drew. Ella Wazarewicz Wyżykowska. Oh, Mary Catherine Hom. Anne Marie Elithorpe. Matt Lynch. Andrew Johnson. And we're talking about our highlights from SBL. So, Ella, um, what's been one of the best things that's happened to you here? Maybe a new thought that you've never thought about or a paper that was exceptional? Uh, I, I think this year I decided to really focus on uh, interacting with individual people. I went to some really excellent sessions, but I think what really, um, the, the real highlights and the real light bulb moments came in conversation. So that, that's been at least four of them that I can think of, which is brilliant. A good outcome. I've heard that from quite a few people. So. I've talked to probably eight, nine people now, and not a single person has admitted to going to sessions that they weren't given a paper. <laughs> no, people, people are always citing, I'm, I'm going to less sessions and talking and meeting with people more. Um, what is the dumbest thing you've heard somebody say at SBL this year? Oh, the list is so long. I struggle oh. to think. Of. No, I'm joking. No, no. It's, it's, it's a very difficult question. Um, the dumbest thing. Who said it. Yeah, no, without outing <laughs> somebody, no specifics, but kind of yeah. like an idea or something. You're just like, well, right. I think that um, it, it, uh, my work currently is mainly in biblical reception. Oh, there are my, there are my people. Sorry, oh, it's George Burke. George Burke, my professor from Manchester. Who she just told me is the most famous person on on Qumran. Current <laughs> colleagues in Manchester. Yeah, we're on this side of the fence, and he's on Excuse that side of the fence. me, while I just go to say hello. This is so exciting! Breaking news: George Work has just entered the premises, and she just completely ditched us on an interview. 
Mary, what's the dumbest thing you've heard people say? I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> as a priest once told me, there are no stupid questions, just stupid people. <laughs> yeah, I always turn to Joshua at this moment and say, like, uh, but what about when Joshua says, are you for us or our enemies? And the, the commander of the army of Yahweh says, uh, no. <laughs> Lo. Uh, what about you, Emery? No comment. <laughs> Matt, you had any, heard anything dumb, particularly dumb? Um, no, not like a, a quotable phrase, but just a sort of, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to name any names, but, but there was a particular like perspective that was being advanced in one of the papers that um, it just had a really simplistic way of trying to date texts and, and, and kind of marching through about like 25 different texts and saying, well, that's late, that's early, that's late, that's early on the basis of a kind of preconceived development of the text idea that um, I just found kind of too flat. What sessions did you go to today? <laughs> I'm not good. This, it, it, this wasn't in the sessions. So I don't mind saying where I went today. I was at Gary Knopper's memorial session, which is very meaningful, actually. Uh, I mean, you don't go to many sessions at SPL and there are tears in the room, and, and that was one of them. So it's it's quite meaningful because Gary Knopper's like, as one of the presenters put it, um, they've never heard him say anything negative about anyone else in the field, and never heard anything negative said about him, and he's a phenomenal scholar. So that was that was really cool. And also one of the presenters, he was presenting while his six-year-old son was running around him, and and he wasn't trying to shut him up. He's just like. You know, put down. His kid was showing him the drawings he was drawing while he was presenting, and he's like, "Oh, that's very nice. That's very. I like that." And, and then he just kept presenting, and then I put his arm on his son. So it's it a cool dynamic to see that. Actually, I um, yeah. Can I can I say something? I don't know. You walked away in the middle of the interview. <laughs> I promise to finish that sentence. <laughs> okay, we're gonna return to Ella. See if she can hang in here. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here's Ella again. <laughs> well, I appreciate you're not being too vengeful or whatever you say that. Whatever you say that. So I was really moved by what you just said about the child being present in the room because uh, I think the most meaningful sessions that I went to this time were about children in the biblical world. And that's quite a broadly defined thing. I presented a paper at one of the sessions about the reception of... Bible in Astrid Lindgren's work and I'm aware that not many people might know her but you actually do she's the author of P.P. Longstocking Ah, yes so that's a lot of Bible in there anyway so at this session today uh, one of the contributors to the recently published volume on children um, no that, that was a person of um, Asian background and he comment, he actually, his guiding metaphor was children busting, gate crushing, you know, so-called adult spaces. And the, yes, yes, but you know, the liberating aspect of it, the kind of, you know. How children, because they'll just like get up and walk away when you're talking to them. Yeah, uh, but you know, it, it's just the question of, uh, you know, because we have... Um, uh, basically, we, uh, it's about questioning the normativity of adulthood as human experience, right? That's what it's all about. 
every stage in human life is transitory by definition and every stage in human life has value and we just you know the moment we start to exclude anybody from that we're just doing something horrible you would love my on script interview with Sean Flynn on uh, children in Hebrew Bible and and Israel yeah yes yes no 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 yeah I'm I'm sure is that online (laughs) can I listen to that State your name and your rank, please. My name is Heath Thomas, and I'm Dean of the Hobbes College of Theology and Ministry and Professor of Old Testament at Oklahoma Baptist University. And you're in a liminal boundary area of between deanship and what? Yes, I'm president-elect of the uh, university. Okay. Uh, so how will it feel walking around Shawnee, Oklahoma as a president? Is there a hat or a badge you wear? Or? Uh, generally, I wear a medallion, large, heavy medallion, <laughs> and I... I try and wear it everywhere, but other than that, it feels absolutely no different. Perfect. Um, what's been a highlight for SBL, IBR, AAR, ETS, EPS, SCP for you? Uh, ASOR. Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, uh, seeing former students giving papers is a lot of fun, and they're actually good, so that's always encouraging. Another uh, huge highlight for me this year was the Scripture and Hermeneutics Seminar, where we engaged the work of Oliver O'Donovan, that trilogy, which I thought was just absolutely fantastic. And then probably the most significant thing is just the informal conversations where you talk about your work and talk about what's going on. And uh, for me, that's where I get most of my ideas. Uh, Rodrigo and I were talking about the arc of scholarship, uh, the career arc where you sometimes start out in really detailed work and then you kind of move towards grander ideas and then move back towards have you noticed any of those movements in your own thought yes i think so so uh my own work in lamentations was very detailed bringing in semiotic theory and kind of uh diving down deep into that uh, kind of field and i think there's still value in that i just think there's a greater opportunity to see across the canon. Uh, intertextuality, I think, is a, a big uh, field that needs more attention. And uh, textual resonance between corpora, I think that, that, that has a lot to say. The other thing that I think, uh, you know, this may be a little bit more detailed, but I do think uh, work in text traditions um, needs... Uh, that I've, I've kind of zoomed out in my research to look at more at text traditions, whether I, more recently in the Minor Prophets or Lamentations. And I found that to be extraordinarily fruitful rather than just kind of zooming in on one or two verses or a section or a pericope. So I think that's important. Uh, what is the dumbest thing you've heard said out loud, um, not in your inner voice, but out loud uh, here at the conferences? Yeah, apart from my own voice? Yeah. Or, okay. Okay. No, I think one of the, the funniest things, I don't know if it was the dumbest, but uh, uh, was this statement. Uh, somebody asked a question, and of course the person hearing the question just looked at them and said, I have no idea what you're saying. And that was really good because nobody else in the room knew what this person was asking either, so it was just really clarifying. It was wonderful. Um, what would be another good question to ask you? I don't know. Why well, I've got you on the hook here. Hmm. Uh, what do you think is exciting about in biblical scholarship? 
Like what, what parts are getting you jazzed even thinking about it? Even if you're not doing them, like the things you hear about. So uh, this relates to text traditions, but one of the things that I'm finding very interesting right now is questions on uh, textual development and questions of canon. So uh, when you look at text traditions, uh, how, how do they develop into individual books or how do these books then congeal into larger uh, canons and can we actually speak of a canon in that way? Those discussions obviously are going, uh, going on in a variety of different contexts uh, in Europe and in North America and really around the globe. And I think that that work, uh, for me, needs a lot more attention. Uh, so uh, I think we need more discussion on things like scribal, scribal practices, differences between uh, Greek traditions aligned with the Greek traditions, texts aligned with the Greek traditions, non-aligned texts, and then what's going on uh, with all of these text traditions, going uh, in particularly Second Temple Judaism. I think that needs a lot of work. Yeah, I was talking to Chip Hardy. Yeah. You know Chip? Uh, about this text tradition thing and we're, I just point blank asked well wh where's the resource I can go if I'm just working on any given passage or book and I can just see all the different text traditions and just kind of bounce between them and uh, I was aghast to, to realize that it was as bad as I thought there's no place you can go right so I know where to find the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. images but uh, apart from that so uh, yeah so when you think about various texts are you hunting and poking out there Yes, absolutely. So uh, because of my work in the past 10 years or so on the Minor Prophets, uh, this the Minor Prophets is one area that I, I kind of dig into. Of course, Lamentations and the Megilot as well, but uh, the Minor Prophets is really interesting. You've got uh, various kind of uh, texts, three in the Dead Sea Scroll material. Um, there's just, you've got different orderings. Uh, it's all very interesting in the Minor Prophets, very live. But yeah, and you mentioned Chip Hardy. Chip Hardy is a conversation partner with me on this stuff. So uh, we're all very interested in this. And, there, the, you know, there's a lot of angles to come at this question of canon. Uh, you know, interpretation, reinterpretation, rewritten scripture, uh, text traditions. I mean, just all sorts of ways to enter into it. So it's, I think it's very fertile. So it sounds to me like... Um this discussion is probably going to make a lot of people nervous, uh, but it seems like we actually need to have a reframed idea of what we mean when we say the word canon, right? Is this essentially what you're, what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's right. We need to know what we're talking about when we say the word canon, and that, of course, is a contested concept. It's been contested uh, for a long time since the work of Brevard Childs and James Sanders, uh, you know, and, you know, more recent developments, uh, talk about, you know, how do we even conceive of canon? A lot of people think of canon as a list. I think it's more flexible than that. Uh, it needs to be more flexible. Uh, there's, you know, people are even looking at dogmatic categories for, for canon. And uh, What would be an example of one? Well, I, I know one person in particular, a guy named Matthew Emerson, is looking at this very carefully, is looking at the dogmatic location of canon. Uh, and, you know, even in... in theology proper, that's a huge area. You know, how do you locate this stuff in light of uh, the materiality and the material questions of canon itself? And that's a very difficult thing. So yeah, I think uh, definitional clarity is a big thing. Conceptual clarity is, is uh, very important. And maybe we need a philosopher of Hebrew scriptures to help us with that. I mean, it sounds like this is all right over the horizon, the next step. Yeah. Yeah, we'll try and find one of those. Thank you very much, Heath. Thank you. Bye.
Anne-Marie, how about you? What's a highlight from SBL? Well, I'm a joint AAR SBL member, so there's been... Um, I really enjoyed participating this afternoon in the Bible and Practical Theology Unit, and there were five very excellent papers presented. Um, I've also, as a practical theologian, it was really great to attend the AAR Practical Theology sessions, and particularly one on apprenticing into practical theology. It's been great to talk about uh, being in various sessions where overcoming obstacles um, have been discussed. It's been great to meet with publishers and to see colleagues. Um, and in friends and to, to nurture those relationships. Mary? I'm here for less than 24 hours. Um, it's all happening in the context of me still taking care of my mom, which is um, something I'm privileged and very happy to do. So with less than 24 hours, um, I came with a very clear goal for me on this one, just to catch up with people. Um, this is probably the first SBL where I have very, um, I've just been very conscious that the point of going to a conference is to affirm that colleagues matter. Because to be honest, when it comes to research and work, stick with the publications. You know, you need things you can cite, you need things black and white. Um, if you're going to publish something. You can quote a conversation sometimes, but <laughs> I'm going to sound like a snob. The stuff that I find is really worth um, including in the work I do usually makes it to the peer review stage and through that. So. To be honest, I've gotten out of the habit of attending most papers. But me showing up here is my way of saying my colleagues do matter. That there is something about this enterprise where the human side um, is a crucial part of it. And this community matters. Um, so that's why I've come to SBL. And it's just been great to catch up with people and to um, be with people who are both colleagues and friends.